Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. Well, here we are. It's the Keep Hammering Collective with Vincent Rocco Vargas. <laughs> so what you what do you go by? Uh, anything really. Uh, Vince, Vince, Vinny, it doesn't matter. Everyone kind of falls into something, but Rocco or Vince is probably... Where's, where's Rocco from? Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, one of the guys in Black Rifle. Yeah? J- JT. He's the one who created that. Oh, yeah. Me, Matt, and JT. So me and Matt were in Ranger Town together. Oh, okay. And uh, we were kind of the beginnings of Article 15 clothing before black rifle uh we go out and do like meet and greets with matt like a lot of people want to meet matt and uh one night i was kind of uh the bouncer uh people were like trying to get him to drink shots around i'm like nope stop leave him alone <laughs> giving him space kind of making sure everyone stayed together and was safe uh, i kind of take that father role a lot and so uh, at the end of the night he was like damn you were like a bouncer like rocco the bouncer and then the next day they posted on social media meet rocco and oh. then boom it just kind of took off there you go coincidentally my great-grandfather's name is roque rock oh, okay yeah. so my mom thought that's the where the nickname came from I was like, nah. <laughs> just a unrelated night. but hey it works <laughs> right well it's great to have you here i mean i've i've been following along on your journey for a while i i like what you do um i've seen i don't know you're making an impact out there and you just with your new book out borderline it and plus this timing is crazy with what's going on at the border right now so yeah it couldn't have been uh better timing when i wrote it uh i wrote like five chapters and i sent it to jocko mm-hmm. and i was like hey man uh what do you think he goes you uh you got an agent i was like no he goes you got one now. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and so he connected me with his agent. Right. And we just went through the process, man. And so he's, you know, he did the same thing for me. Essentially. Really? Yeah, because I didn't know how this whole book thing worked, yeah. right? And it's like, I don't know shit about anything. So they're like, well, you got to meet with these. Um, there's four publishers in New York, and then they kind of make this pitch type thing. But then he had went through Macmillan before yeah. for his book. Yeah. So he's just like, and he wasn't just talking about any, any publisher in general in particular but he just said he goes hey he was just know that this is a business and he's like they're no matter who you go with they're not your he goes i'm your friend he goes if you call me and say hey i need some help bring bring like black plastic and some duct tape <laughs> right he goes i'll be on a, i'll be on a plane and no questions asked i'll come there and help you he goes they won't yeah, no, <laughs> they're, they're not friends like that. It's a business. It's a business. So, yeah. but anyway, he, you know, gave me some good advice and I ended up going with McMillan, who I know you went with too, for your audio book at least. And, uh, yeah, so he's great resource. No, he's great. And, um, he's helped me a lot along the way. You know, he's been kind of a part of my life just kind of accidentally, obviously the veteran space and stuff, but he grew up with the, one of the co-creators of Mayans. Okay. And so who is one of my mentors and good friends now is Elgin James, who Mm. eventually took over the whole show. And so one day Elgin comes up to me and goes, hey, uh," they call each other brothers, right? Because they grew up since they were little together. He goes, hey, uh, you know, you might know my brother. And I was like... Uh, everyone, everyone does it. You know, he's like, oh, your buddy's in the military. You know, John, you know, one of those. And I was like, fuck, here we go. You know? And he goes, his name's Jocko. I was like, there's only one Jocko. <laughs> I was like, Jocko? Yeah, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I know him, dude. Yeah. And so I was, we were doing a uh, premiere of our, our, we had a documentary called Not a War Story. 
And I said, hey, I would love to invite him. And he came. So that's where we first met. And we've kind of just had this cool relationship ever since. Mm -hmm. Turned out to him publishing my book under his, uh, they call it an imprint, uh, Jocko Publishing, I think it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first one under that imprint under the, yeah, the, the whole new publishing that he's doing. Mm. So pretty cool. He's got a whole empire going. Well, yeah. Dude. Yeah. It's been, it was cool. I went down to his place and did a podcast and I was like, this is all rad, dude. Oh, I mean, I'm, oh yeah. Origin. <laughs> I for know. Real. And they just signed with UFC too. And I was yeah. like, God dang, bro. I know. And then one of the, that big actor too. I don't know why. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. I know. Such. Have you met him? No, dude. I would love to. I feel like that dude is like one of the realest dudes in Hollywood. He's nicest seems to be. guy. You met him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nicest guy. I've been trying to. He was actually in in hunting camp that I was in. I didn't. I we didn't run into each other. I think I left and he came in and he ended up killing a bull. But uh, yeah, I mean, Hunter, nicest guy. Uh, he's got a little farm. I think up in Washington somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And he's a patriot and just watching. Yes. His, and on the acting side of my world, watching his growth as an actor. It's been freaking phenomenal to yeah. see him just kind of be that guy you just hire for comedy and then all of a sudden just main character and just, just a badass all around. Yeah. And he stands up for, you know, he's, he is a believer. Yeah. He's God and country. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God and country he family. says it. He's not afraid to say yeah. it like, you know, Hollywood is, or I mean, you would know more than, more than <laughs> anyone. <know>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, so we just hit on a lot of different things, but I can't believe everything you're doing. How, how have, from going how you grew up and your life, did you ever envision you would be like an actor, not only serving in the military, that's usually like, I mean, that's a pinnacle for a lot of people because right. that's a huge honor. Right. And our country relies on, you know, <laughs> men and women serving. But did you ever think this would happen, this mm. whole journey? I think my kids are all texting me. They're getting out of school right now, so I'm just going to turn that off. Mm. <laughs> no but, worries. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think I, I could have ever imagined this. I thought I was gonna be a baseball player, dude. I thought baseball. I gonna, yeah, I thought I was gonna be a professional baseball player. And uh, were you good? I thought I was pretty damn good, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought I was pretty good. You know? Um, yeah, I was all right. I think um, I've what seen position? guys. Pitcher. Pitcher okay. was probably my where I stood out in the sense of being left-handed and throwing decently hard. Mm. But I can hit really well as, as well. And so I when I got into college, that was the big fight where they wanted me to focus on left-handed pitching. I, want, I would love playing the outfield. I feel like I could read the ball really well and as well as I can hit. And so I was pretty athletic, dude. So I wanted to. I didn't want to take away the athleticism and put me as only as a pitcher. Mm -hmm. And so I fought with a couple of college coaches about that. Um, and eventually I got a full ride to a Kentucky school, an NAIA school in uh, Owensboro, Kentucky. Mm. And I lost my full ride from academics. And mm. so... I tried to play other places, never worked out, kind of watching the war on TV. And I was like, well, I have a daughter. Let's try and find a way to pay for some diapers and formula. And so I joined the military. But, um, you know, I joined trying to do like fucking infantry. Like if I'm going to do this, I want to see it. I want to be a part of that world and I want to do special operations. Uh, I scored a 110 on my GT score, uh, excuse me, a 108. And so to do special forces, I had to get a 110 and they didn't have a two point waiver at the time. Mm. And, uh, so I had to do Ranger and again, no fucking clue what Ranger was besides the movie Black Hawk Down. And I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I have the balls to take the fights in the enemy like yeah. the, the, these dudes, but that's it was an intense movie, dude. That's what I was like, but I would love to fucking see if I got it in me, you mm -hmm. know? And so that's what I decided to try and do. 
Mud water is something I've been using daily since I started the podcast. It's supposed to be an alternative to coffee, but I actually add it to mine for some extra health benefits. It's got four functional mushrooms and with only a little caffeine, and each ingredient was added for a purpose. Cacao and chai for a hint of caffeine and hot chocolate-like flavor. Lion's mane for focus. Cordyceps to promote natural energy. It's also Whole30 approved, 100% USDA certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher. Mudwater donates monthly to support psychedelic research and has since day one. They believe the country is in a mental health epidemic and that psychedelic-assisted therapy is one of the most effective tools we have to treat mental health conditions. Today, you get $20 off when you subscribe at mudwater.com cam. You also get a free frother and a sample of their delicious coconut creamer. So go to mudwater.com cam to get $20 off your subscription and your free frother. That's mudwater.com cam. Ketone IQ is my podcasting superfood. I'm no Andrew Huberman, so talking for hours actually takes a lot out of my brain power, which I feel like Ketone IQ actually helps with. Ketone IQ is a clean energy boost without caffeine or sugar. It increases your blood ketone. I'm not on a keto diet, but by taking Ketone IQ, I can achieve the desired focus and energy for explosive workouts that ketones typically provide those in ketosis. You can find Ketone IQ at your local Sprouts or online at hvmn.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, for 20% off your first order. And what, when were you, a, you were a, a drill sergeant too, right? Yeah, so after you do your active duty, I did my four years active duty with Ranger Town um, and then kind of figuring out what I want to do. I kept my foot in the door doing reserves. Mm -hmm. And as a reservist, I joined as a drill sergeant. Mm. So I had to become a drill sergeant. I had to go to drill sergeant school and do all that thing. And so the reserve side of being a drill sergeant is slightly different. In active duty, they get DA selected. Essentially, you get forced to do that as your downtime. Mm. If you're super busy going overseas a lot, they kind of give you this, hey, you're forced to go be a drill sergeant. It's kind of your relaxing time. There ain't no relaxing to the fucking drill sergeant, bro. <laughs> but that's Did what you like do. it? <clears throat> it was the best... I tell people being an army ranger was the most exciting part of my career because, you know, going to war and it's fucking dope. Right. But rewarding being a drill sergeant is like being a father to a lot of kids mm -hmm. and watching them grow and watching them be curious and giving them insight that they've never had. I've had, I've had kids who never knew how to shave because they didn't have a father. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I was teaching them how to shave. I was the father figure during that time. And I also was teaching them and knowing they were probably going to war within the next few months. Mm. You know, this is in the middle of, I was a drill sergeant in 2010 to 2011 at Fort Sill. And so the war's still hopping and popping, you mm -hmm. know, and these kids are going. Uh, one of the guys in my first cycles, within 30 days of leaving and graduating, going overseas, he was killed in IED. Mm. So it was a very real job knowing that a lot of them will be going overseas. But two, man, these young kids, it's really incredible to see coming from these Areas of the country you never heard of who have no experiences with people. Like, I've never seen a black gay sergeant. How do I act? Mm -hmm. uh, fucking normal, dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, yeah. they've never been able to talk to anyone that looked like me and to ask, how do I act around them? I'm like, man, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. There's still that. You know what I mean? I grew up in LA, yeah. every race, but right. people that don't have that. There's people who, one kid, man, it was a four hour break, right? They have a four hour leave to go eat somewhere. And he goes, drill son. I said, I said, where's that? Where y'all going to eat? You know, mm -hmm. and he's like, drill son. And he was a little soft on the bridges. You know what I'm saying? He's like, <laughs> drill son. 
I'm going to get me a steak. And I was like, all right, <laughs> private, where are you going to get that steak at? You know, and there, there was a Texas Roadhouse there. There's a couple other spots. He goes, I'm going to go to Steak and Shake. And I was like, private, they don't have steaks there, dog. They have steak burgers, <laughs> yeah. right? He's like, well, why do they call it Steak and Shake? This kid, his whole life, has driven past a Steak and Shake and always wanted to, but couldn't afford it. Could never it. go there. Wow. And it just, like, broke my heart, dude. Yeah. And that's the kind of, like innocence you see mm -hmm. these kids are serving they're more poor middle class and just needed it right just like i needed it at the time i didn't have another option i wasn't paying for college my parents couldn't afford it these kids are serving because they need the opportunity of what the military presents to them yeah and that made it very beautiful yet emotional man like god these kids they're only coming here to get dental and like just basic money yeah you know what i mean and it was just it was cool it was a really cool thing to be a part of yeah because it it is you know they see it as like where am i going to get a job like oh well, i could be join the army but then they're being sent overseas yeah to war yeah I mean, yeah, and and all they wanted was that possibility of paying college that they right. never would have had the opportunity to. That's the truth of it, though. Like our our poor middle class serve our military, you know. Yeah, <sighs> crazy. That's intense. Yeah, yeah, it is because uh, you know, as a, a dad of somebody who served too, my son, it's like there's no, you don't know. Yeah, you're you're here wondering what's going on over there. It's yeah. yeah. My son, we've talked recently, he's, he's a freshman, okay, right? and we're, we're thinking about trying to get him into West Point, right? Because mm. he wants to go to college, but I was like, well, let's get college paid for it. Let's go to cadet program. Yeah. Like, let's do it. We're mm. going to become an officer. And I was like, you ever thought about West Point? He goes, I just saw a video. I, I think I want to try. I was like, oh, shit. You know? And then I'm like, what kind of job would you want to do? He goes, I don't know. I was like, don't do infantry. <laughs> and the dad of me is like trying to protect him from that world, you know? Yeah. But he's my son. I imagine he wants to try and do the similar to what I did. And yeah. So that's a normal, scary yeah. fucking thing, dude. I know. Well, how, I, how did man. it feel for you with your son? Uh, man, you're just so invested because he, you know, when he's in rasp and going through things, it's, I remember stories of the drill sergeants yeah. and the different ones, some are harder than others. Right. You, you hope like you're doing the push-ups and like, you got to get this many or whatever. And like this one guy counts, you know, pretty strict, this guy. So it's like, you hear, it feels like you're there because right. then you're like waiting for the update, right? Yeah. How did it go? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, the land nav, that was always, you know, it's you hear fun. stories and all, yeah. to me, it sounded like, God, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's but, stressful, but for us, it's stressful shit because oh. <laughs> you don't make one of those, you go home, right? I know. <sighs> To me, I heard all the stories and I'm like, God, that sounds like a pretty damn good time, but I'm old. I've done, you know, whatever. I don't have expectations weighing on me. Right. Yeah. So I just have a lot of respect for, you know, the men and women who, well, for Rangers, it's men. I don't know yeah. if there's been any women. So, I mean, I, you know, women deserve respect and I, I'm not trying to take it away, but for those guys, it's usually like badass men. Yeah. That's all there is to it. It's yeah. fucking hard. Yeah. And so I got nothing but respect. And so when my son became one and, and you too, it's like, man, I just really look up to, to people who serve that for our country and, and fill that role and go overseas and fight because that's what they signed up to do. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of re so much respect. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's uh, I, I think I was too young to even know the gravity of it. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, "Fuck it, pay these bills, dog." <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I think when I got there, I started to like, "Fuck, this is some real shit." Mm -hmm. Did they ask you why you want to be a ranger? Uh, 
I don't know if they did, uh, but the answer was like the reason why I felt I was like I want to surround myself with dudes who want to be the best as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of felt like I was safer in that sense of like surrounded by dudes who want to continue to push themselves to be the best. Right. That's how I felt the most secure. Like if I'm gonna do infantry, I, I want to do it like with the best of the best. Yeah. And um, yeah, and if they ever asked me, that's probably the answer I would have given them. Well, yeah. I mean, when you walk down the street, if you're with a couple other like if you're with some badass guys, you feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's probably similar to that. Yeah, and, uh, and it was crazy to see how the regular army looked up to us. Like the first time going to the PX, you're someone know exactly, he puts on a tan beret, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you stand out and you see the looks and people be like, are, uh, are you a ranger? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you get goddamn right I am, kid. You, know? <laughs> you need me on that wall. <laughs> yeah, it's, it feels good, man. I bet. I yeah. bet. I can't imagine. I didn't serve, but I, you know, th- through my son, I, I could imagine what that feel like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, pretty amazing. So you went from there and then drill sergeant and yeah. then and then what'd you do uh it was a prison guard at the same time as a drill sergeant because i was going i was the reserve time was drill and then a prison guard but immediately i applied for the border patrol so i was going through the border patrol hiring process which what took prison about, was it i was at <laughs> it's a private prison it was called oh. um cca uh Corrections Corporation of America and so first time i ever heard of a private prison i just knew that they yeah were, i don't know what that is Really? No. This is going to blow your fucking mind. Okay. Because back then it wasn't um, it wasn't as controversial as, a, as it is now. Mm. Private prisons, what happens is, so think of the state of California. At one point, all of their prisons were overfilled, mm-hmm. right? They were max capacity. And so when it get to max capacity, you start having issues with food, with da- the dangers of that and everything else. And so what these private prisons showed up, they started to build a prison and charge the state cheap for housing their inmates. Mm. And so if it normally costs about $15 a day to, to, to have an inmate, I guess the cost of what it is to feed them housing, everything, well, they were offering it for cheaper. Mm. So, hey, you can house them with us for $10 a day. I see. And so that's what they were doing. So these private prisons are all over the nation now. Right? Oh. And so it becomes a weird thing when you make a business out of imprisoning people. Yeah, Because then you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Are we just starting to put motherfuckers in here for business? Because that's a little shady. And making a little money. Right. And yeah. so that's the weird thing. And then for us as corrections officers who work for that, you know, we're the liability. Because as soon as we start, you know, you put hands on a dude because he puts hands on you and you try to protect yourself. Well, as soon as he throws a kite, a complaint, well, we're the one who are potentially disrupting the money flow. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't feel safe for us either. Like we're against this, the machine. Right. Yeah. So it's a really weird space. And you're not hiring these dudes who go through the academy, you're hiring people who are just kind of like looking to do corrections. So I was like a monster compared to like 80% of the people there. There was a few of us that were like in shape and wanting to do this job and hopefully Mm -hmm. getting to the next level of this, meaning finding a state or a federal job of it. So you have a retirement. Mm -hmm. The state doesn't have retirement. You have just your 401k. Mm -hmm. I mean, excuse me, the, the private president doesn't have that. So you have a small group of guys who are like in good shape. The rest, they're just trying to knock out another paycheck. And uh, so that's a tough, tough fuck. situation. Yeah. So there'll be fights and they're like, Vargas. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. They had a, we had to do a cell extraction one time and uh, they said, hey, grab the best team. And I'm only there 30 days, right? But they knew my background, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, legit. Yeah. Good enough to figure this out, yeah. right? And so they're like, hey, grab the best team you can. Uh, these two dudes are fucking drinking and they're destroying a, one of their, their cell. How are they drinking? So in prison, they're able to they try to change it. their diet and they make it, right? So if you you change your diet to, uh, it could be a, a 
whatever diet. There's certain diets like that fruit. offer oranges and fruits, yeah. right? And so I think it was called a kosher diet at the time. Uh, and so they're saving their fruits and they're able to ferment it and make it. So they make right. it, right? Okay. They make some prison hooch, man. That shit smells good, dude. Hey. <laughs> it smells like some good Being bourbon. creative. Yeah. The ingenuity in prison is crazy, Yeah, bro. I bet. Yeah. And so they were drinking. They were celebrating something. One was in there for murder. One was in there for attempted murder. They're both natives at one of the local, you know, in the surrounding um, Indian reservations. And um, I read up on the dude who committed murder and I was like, damn, this dude is gruesome. Like how he did it was pretty, pretty heavy. So I was already like my, my sense of like stress was like, okay, we're in for a fight. Yeah. These dudes are in there forever. Mm -hmm. So they got nothing to lose. Right. Exactly. And now they're drinking. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I got the best dudes I could, but at the time it was only one dude. I was really like, all right, I know this guy can fight. He's a big dude. He was an 82nd airborne guy in the past, did some Iraq time. Uh, so I said, Laura, dude, you're my dude, bro. You know? And I got whoever else was there. And it was like this guy named Stogner who was like a 350 pound, just dude. I was like, hold the shield. Right. And so <laughs> everyone had their job. Um, we opened the food trap and I was surprised, but they had a porcelain toilet. Mm. And so they broke some of the toilet. They threw it out the door and it hit me in the leg. And I was like, what was that? And the, the captain was like, the toilet. They broke the toilet. I was like, oh, shit. So we threw gas in there. It was, a, it was an OCCS mix. We put it in there. And usually that kind of calms them down. But they threw it out the back window. So they busted the back window, too. Oh, man. So now we have no means of, like, you know, kind of slowing them down. Right. Everything doing, we've tried. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so my captain just looked at me and goes, well, they got nothing else. You ready? And I was like, oh, fuck. When I looked in there, dude, they were wrapped in, 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 in uh, blankets like ninjas, like white ninjas, dude, like for padding on the ribs, for their protection, elbows. Yeah. They had sandals, chunklas, right? They had them cut for elbow pads and knee pads. They had their face covered. I mean, wow. when I looked in there, I was like, what the fuck am I doing, dude? Oh, man. You're like, what am I doing? They open up the door. The first two dudes went in. They both slipped because there was soap all over the floors. This was part of their trick, one right. of the tricks they do. And then it was me and the big dude, the dude who committed murder. And everything slowed down. I've told the story before. It's just crazy how it goes. But it, everything slowed down, and I see his arm doing kind of a wave. Mm. And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Mm -hmm. Like, what's his hand doing that? And then it kind of sped back up, and he's hitting me with a sock with some of the porcelain toilet. Oh. Egg. And that's when I was like... Oh shit, this yeah. dude's trying to fuck me up. And yeah. I grabbed him. Just, we started kind of like close hand fist punching him in the face. And we both slipped and fell. And when we did that, he dislocated his shoulder. And I just kind of kept hitting him until they pulled me off him. And I was like, what the fuck? And then they're fighting with this other dude. So eventually we got control of the room. Wow. 30 days into this fucking job, this paying me $21 an hour, <laughs> oh my right? God. No retirement. And I'm sitting, I drove home thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? They make that at McDonald's now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 21 bucks I know, I know, an hour. I, and it probably only pays 23 right now, right? And it's like, oh. I couldn't believe, I was like, what am I doing? It took me the whole drive home thinking like, I feel like I'm going to quit. I want to quit. Like I wanted to be like, I have three kids at the house. I have, yeah. You know, I'm going to school full time just to make do of what I would used to make in the military. So I had to hold on to this motherfucker. And I was mm. like, Fuck this job, dude. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much how my prison experience went until I finally got on with the Border Patrol. And that's, you say there's a bunch of private prisons. Tons so that, of that's going on everywhere. That's a dude. So there's CCA, which in Arizona at the time had one, two, three, four, five, six different prison facilities, all had different mm -hmm. contracts. I'm talking Alaska contract, a federal contract, a California contract. I mean, the, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. California contracts are the craziest because those are like California rules. Mm -hmm. So like that's what, even, that's what you have the big gang problems, right? We had, I had to do, I had to do, um, sell extractions at the California one for, for a big riot they had, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? 
And then why well, I ended up going into the special operations of that and was this, uh, called a SOAR team, special operations response team. And you get activated to go help with these riots hmm. all over this, this little area of, of, of Arizona. Wow. And then you have another company that was across the street called Geo, another private prison company. But hmm. these are all over the nation. You can Google them. They're all, it's, it's a, it's no a, idea. It's a different thing. Wow. I, you know, last week I went to a prison for the first time. Did, went and talked to the inmates. I had never been, didn't know anything about it. And it's like, it was weird because, I mean, your experience is way different. You worked there, but it, it sounds weird to say, but the guys I met seemed like great guys. I mean, I was just like, and then I heard the stories about what they did and I was just like, holy shit. Well, but yeah. on a human level. They're human, dude. They were, you know, and. So I, I, I said this on a podcast the other day, but it's like, you know, they made a mistake. Some of them made many mistakes, yeah. but it could have just been one. And then it's, there it, they are. It's a weird thing because there was, you know, I had, I didn't have the hand tattoos yet, but I still had the full sleeves and guys would always ask me questions. Where are you from? You know? And so yeah. I started gaining kind of a reputation. They called me Street Marine. They didn't understand military. They knew I was like, hey, come here, Street Marine. And so I'd get issues with dudes and jack them up. They'd be like, Street Marine, that was him. He did it. And so it turned yeah. into a thing. But you start to kind of build some rapport with these guys. Mm -hmm. And I could have a good conversation with someone who was in there for kidnapping. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a guy who was part of a... Uh, one of the Mexican mafias out there, and he was a one of the guys who used to hold people ransom for them. And he's in there for, for a long time, dude. Mm -hmm. But we can have serious discussions. And he'd say, Hey, bro, you know why no one fucks with you? I was like, Why? It was like, one, because I was ready to fight everybody. I just got out, <laughs> I just got back from Afghanistan, dog. Yeah. You know, I was like, So I was already pumped. But he said, You're the only one in my shift that would come with creased pants, ni nicely ironed clothes, mm -hmm. and shiny boots. He goes, mm -hmm. you, you take yourself serious. Hmm. And it was crazy to me that he observed that. Yeah. That he, they saw that and they're like, that guy takes his job serious. Wow. And so for them, they knew like, all right, that's someone we probably won't fuck with unless we had to kind of thing. Right. But then I also learned that one dude in that whole pod controls the whole thing. Mm. So if some knucklehead was fuck with me, I could just go to the, the big dog and be like, tell the guy to quit fucking me before I fucking close this whole place down. He goes, yeah. yeah. Next time you come in there, yeah. that guy comes up and goes, hey, see you, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's a really interesting place of respect. Mm. I saw a meme the other day. It was like, uh, uh, like a, a uh, you know, a gang member for, for that's in prison for life and a and a serial killer bumped into each other in prison and they both said sorry. You know what I mean? Because there's so much manners <laughs> yeah, in prison. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, that that is, uh, yeah. I mean, I a whole different world, but it's still like that that creed amongst men. I guess yeah. is that'll probably always there's a, it's always going to be something to it. Yeah, in that environment is no one fucks around. Like mm -hmm. we don't, we, we need something like that in, in like day to day. Yeah. Cause right now people can talk shit online and no repercussion. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in prison, everyone knows everyone in there's for something serious. Mm -hmm. So the repercussion of being rude is getting fucking killed. Right. So then it's like, well, just be a good person. And if you make a mistake, <laughs> just own it, you know? Right. And that's cool. Everyone does that. Yeah. In real life, there's dudes, I want to smack dudes all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand. That's interesting. I mean, so, I mean, there are lessons to learn in prison. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we can learn some lessons anywhere. Some people might think, what could you learn from a murderer, right? Yeah. Or a yeah. criminal, but you can. Yeah. And it's, it's, it sucks to see someone lose control of their life and make one mistake that probably keeps them in prison for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, cause some of those guys, then they have to defend themselves in prison their whole life and they get yeah. stuck there. 
this one guy talked to this, this big black guy there. He's been in 31 years, seemed like he had on a gold chain. He's like, seemed nice guy. Said he'd, he'd done 225, 34 times. I was like, God dang, freaking beast. And he seemed, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what he did, but, and to me, he was good. It's, I, I don't know. It's a whole different world. I, I enjoyed going in there and if I could be a distraction or, or they could think about something else. Cause yeah. I was telling bow hunting stories. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, man. It's, it's, I don't look down upon anyone in prison like that. Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain people who've done things that are kind of unforgivable. Those, yeah, those are yeah, like, definitely. Okay, okay, definitely. But then there's people that grew up in the same neighborhood I did and either got into drugs, mm -hmm. you know, or got into gangs mm -hmm. and they felt they fell in love with the community of that gang and did things for that gang because it was their family. Mm -hmm. You got to feel for that man because yeah. their own upbringing didn't have that for them. And so they weren't looking for it. Like, I don't know. I feel for, I have the empathetic views on all that shit, right? Yeah. The, the human experience is crazy, man. Yeah. It's it, sometimes some people are a victim of circumstance or yeah. environment for sure. Um, so what, when did you get all your tattoos? Was that, uh, before or have you have you still been getting them what, yeah, what, what do you got yeah i kind of keep going you know i think uh right now i'm pretty full besides some areas of my ribs and uh, i need to finish a stomach tattoo that i started for my boy will xx he's just really good i just haven't had time to finish it and then mm. my legs i need to start finishing too but i grew up uh my father had tattoos my whole life mm. um i've been going to tattoo conventions since i was like 10 11 really and it's just kind of part of my me and my dad my dad's culture but he brought me along i'm kind mm. of one of the kids that he brought me everywhere with him and it was really cool mm -hmm. uh, he was an la city firefighter and um you know he had to change a few of his tattoos so so that for for the la fire department but he just kept getting tattoos and tattoos and so he's got his full back chest legs uh every sleeves he's probably gonna get his hands done soon now that he's retired and uh it's for me growing up was kind of how we connected mm -hmm. so i'd come back from like afghanistan boom i get i get another tattoo meaning we, we'd go to get tattoos together come back from iraq get tattoos together and it's kind of turned into a thing now we have several tattoos that are similar. The praying hands on my stomach, me and him both have it. Uh, the Lady of Guadalupe on my back is something that he has. I just have a different version of it. We both have Viva La Vargas on our biceps. Like, so That's I don't know. Cool. I just respected my dad for so many years and it became yeah. our thing. And so we've continued to kind of get tattoos. And, you know, I met my wife because she posted a tattoo and I liked it. And I was like, oh. And so me and my wife go and get tattoos all the time too. <laughs> That's awesome. And so it became a thing. What, so from your deployments, would you get a tattoo based on the deployment or... No, you know, I was, I was, I'm sure your son seems to be very similar to me in the sense of like, there's the ranger culture that was fun for war. But as soon as I was able to kind of step outside of that, I was back to being myself. Mm -hmm. I had my own identity and, you know, I, I just saw the world slightly different. I, at the time I was kind of questioning my faith and, and going through my, my trials and tribulations of that. Mm -hmm. And so I started getting kind of like demons on this side and, and eventually it goes all the way up to salvation on my shoulder and mm -hmm. it all represented kind of like what I personally was going through and trying to figure that out, mm -hmm. you know, and then it just kind of like keep filling space. And at one point I just, I, you know, I got Jesus on my hand and, and one of the sayings here is Psalms 1832 to 45. And this was, told to us before a mission um, by Jeff Struger, a well-known chaplain, but also he was one of the gentlemen who was in Black Hawk Down. Oh. And so he became my chaplain and we were going on a mission and it was a mission that was supposed to be pretty, pretty hot and heavy. And so he said the prayer, which was an honor for us to have him there at the time. 
And when he said it, I was like, I've never heard words like that in the Bible. Where is that? So I asked him later. And so I got a tattoo in my hands and it talks about, you know, uh, giving the strength to bend bows of brass and giving your hands strength for war. And so it was this really cool version of the Bible that I never heard that in that moment kind of stuck with me. And so mm. continue to get tattoos that mean something. And then some that don't, man, I got... I got some dumb ones, dude. I got, the, <laughs> I think I got the rock on the side of my leg. That's not very nice looking. I got Danny Trejo on my leg. I got taco, taco life. You know what I mean? <laughs> my mom hated that one. Eventually you just start liking the way your skin looks with the color on it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't think tattoos need to make sense to anybody else, but the person right. getting them. Right. Absolutely. And as long as you got a story there or maybe no story, maybe it's just for fun <laughs> yeah. and that's okay too. <laughs> I mean, you're living with it. What did you learn from, from your deployments, what do you learn? What do you what do you take or bring back from those those experiences? Uh, you know, it's what I two sides. I learned a lot about myself and like what we're able to accomplish in that team effort of like the Ranger Battalion. It was cool to train, but it was really cool to see it come to come in action, like come together in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, building the camaraderie and, and the closeness you get with people when you when you go to war together is different. Like I thought I was close to my baseball friends. Like now the war friends are different. Mm-hmm. And and I've since tried to find a lot of myself and in that kind of lost connection to some of my buddies because I think we're all on different paths of growing or trying to accepting, or at least I am. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things in war that I also kind of come to terms with of I guess the other side I I started to see how the other side of the people and how they experience war Mm -hmm. the families you know the the innocent people in in just the countries that kind of see the aftermath of what we leave behind and it uh it kind of just changed perspective a little bit not that I wouldn't do it again yeah but I think uh I guess I wasn't prepared to see that Mm -hmm. I think that's the side of it and it's kind of what makes the border conversation, uh, it makes me more empathetic towards that too. Yeah. It, it kind of leads me into, we have to see, and not saying like, look, I'd go to war and kick doors and do the same thing. Cause I know the connection to some of the people that we've, we've killed or captured overseas had connections to terrorist acts in America. Mm-hmm. So which makes it justifiable and makes you feel like, fuck yeah, I'm doing something good. Mm-hmm. But to also see the screaming faces of the family members and watch their husband get killed. Is something that sticks with me. Yeah, I so, I think not everyone feels that. Mm-hmm. I did, and I kind of hid that for many years. Yeah. So now I'm kind of accepting of it. Yeah, that's intense. Um, how do you? So, what parallels do you see from that to the border? I think uh, a lot of people see the border situation as one conversation, and I think it's actually two conversations that have to happen at once. And if both sides of this conversation actually communicated better, uh, they would both see that the answer is more in the middle and there's a, there's kind of a, uh, a middle ground to it. You know, this conversation with the border, it's two things happening at once. You have immigration law and you have Homeland security, mm-hmm. the protection of our nation that happened after 19, uh, after, after the nine 11 incident. Right. We had to introduce homeland security measures to protect our nation from outside, you're right, outliers who want to do harm upon us. Right. And then you have immigration law, something that we've had immigration for the existence of this great nation. And immigration is a part of this country. But now 
we have to answer both of those without losing too much of one or the other. Mm -hmm. If we do too much homeland security, well, then we become similar to like a North Korea, and then we don't allow immigration. And that becomes, we lose the dignity of what this nation kind of stands for. Mm -hmm. If we do too much immigration and not have homeland security, well, now we open the door to potential threats. And we've risked you know, the people who live here and who have always gained sanctuary of this nation. Mm -hmm. And so that conversation is right in the middle there. And what most people probably don't know is, I think it was last year, the numbers 1.5 million people were allowed to, to immigrate to America legally, mm -hmm. the legal process. That sounds like a really good number. And that's mm -hmm. cool. But how long did it take for them to get that? Could have been 12 years. Mm. Could have been seven years. And so that process, like when you say one answer, what's the deeper to that? We're not having those discussions. Mm. And when we don't have those discussions, we're not doing our due diligence and really understanding this whole immigration system mm. and situation. Yeah, because, you, you know, you mentioned the 1.5 and it may have taken 12 years. Well, who knows what the truth is with the news, but they say that, what, 10 million have come over and... Yeah, I mean that's an estimated number, but but it's not far off. So you have, you have um, what they call as gotaways, and so the only way you it's not a def, it's not a definite science and how to mark a gotaway. You you know the ranches down at Eagle Pass. Yeah. If I'm tracking someone from the river, mm -hmm. and I say, hey, I got it. So what happens is again, that's not a perfect science either. Is like I say, I got footprints of about. 10, someone who's hunted before, you know what that looks yeah, like. And you're yeah. like, okay, I got about 10. Why do I say 10? Well, this footprint looks different, this placement here and also different souls. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give around 10. So if I call 10 here and we continue to track this all the way up to the Paloma and we see it get to a road mm -hmm. and it doesn't go over, that's a Godaway. Yeah. And that's marked as 10 Godaways. Mm. I don't know. It could have been nine. Mm -hmm. It could have been 15. Right. Around there somewhere. Correct. Yeah. And so the number we give the best estimate. And so that is what gets marked as a Godaway. Mm. And those are the ones we mark as gotaways. And so there's times where guys would hit the river, boom, right into a vehicle and gone. Yeah. So it just depends the traffic. You know, the, the, the issue down in Shelby uh, Park right now is like, that's fast traffic. That could be out, out of the boat ramp, boom, right into a vehicle within seconds. And so we can't determine all that. But yeah, the number currently right now people are throwing is around the 10 mil, you mm -hmm. know, um, and I don't think it's far off. And they <clears> say <throat> that it's like war age fighting men is what, that's what the news says too. Yeah. So it's, are so these coming I, from Central America? Who, who? Yeah, I don't use that term because I think it's thrown very, thrown around too lightly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think of it in the sense, like I'm not saying it's not, but mm -hmm. I'm also saying who are the guys who usually work for the families is the working age males. Right, yeah. So it's like- you Could be, but maybe oh, it's- Yeah, maybe it's just working. I don't know. I don't discount that that's the age who goes to war. Yeah. But I also don't discount that's also the age that usually works hard and sends mm -hmm. the money back to family. So right. I think when you use that term, it is a form of fear mongering. Yeah. And it's leading towards one viewpoint. And so I don't use that. I'm just saying, yeah, there's there's a lot of males coming. Right. The one thing that makes me more nervous is the exotic. Uh, and we call them exotics in the sense of like, com people come from Mexico is not uncommon. Uh, just by... The, the location, it's right mm -hmm. on the border. Yeah, People coming from South America, not uncommon. Right, it's, They're coming up north. People coming from Africa, people coming from China, people coming from Russia, right? Those countries, Middle East, damn, 
that's a long trip. Yeah. And who's paying for that trip? Right. So that becomes a concern of like, those are countries that we know we have enemies, right? People who don't want to see good upon our great nation. Mm-hmm. We know uh, that if they're able to make that trip, someone's financially backing it, even if it's them, like how do they get that for a money? reason? Right. And so there's a lot that starts to pose the question of like the the, the special operations tactical side of me goes, huh, mm-hmm. that makes me a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, Immigration as a whole, we might have a massive influx right now because they know right now they're getting in. And so that's just causing more. So it's a really good word of mouth system they have. And the the trafficking organizations are really good at capitalizing on our our little snafus, our little kind of like immigration loopholes. Right. As soon as they find out that, cool, this is the area, boom. Because every state sometimes has different policies, whatever those policies are, like mm-hmm. you start to see it as a body, com- like as a, as a person comes in, as a migrant comes in and maybe gets arrested and they go back home, say three days later, four days, whatever it is. I don't, it depends. Like the old system, when I used to work, they'd get, um, they get housed for 30 days and get to return back to their country. So they go back and tell them that. And so then they go, okay, cool. So in this area right now, they're being held for 30 days. Hmm. That area is one, this area is 30. Let's start putting them that way. So that becomes like the business model for the trafficking organizations. Mm -hmm. So they learn how to fluctuate their movement. Also, there's multiple different trafficking organizations working that border. So some in different San Diego to Tucson to Texas, all different organizations, all trying to do the same thing. How do they facilitate more movement and make more money? So, so they get paid for getting people into the United States, basically. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is a business. Yeah. And this business is so deep rooted. Um, I don't know. And I can't say I can speak on it like as an expert testimony, but all the way down South, there's massive buses that very brand new charter buses that are assisting in the efforts of this. And so it's a, it's a lucrative business. Yeah. And they, so the people that want to come in, they pay thousands or who knows how much and then they get they get delivered to the border here you go here's your ride once you get over yeah and it's not a an an exact science as well and it's also not a guarantee you Mm -hmm. know there's things where like if the organization needs to pass drugs at the same time they'll create the diversion of 30 bodies here drugs here Mm -hmm. and so they get it paid for the attempts (laughs) <laughs> not necessarily the success. Right. And as well as if you have a, a coyote, which is the kind of the, the trafficker on boots on ground trafficker, if the coyote gets them across into America and maybe gets them to a safe house, they could extort them for even more money mm-hmm. at that point. I see. Or, so yeah. the business is very, it's a strange mm. and unfortunate business. And so like, why would people, why would people do that? Well, it's because they heard it takes 12 years, mm-hmm. it takes seven years, right? Right. Right. And so when they hear that and then they have kind of a, a sign up campaign happening on the other side, say, go with us, we'll get you in there right. faster. In a week. Yeah. And, you know, uneducated on the legal system, also the legal system is very challenging. So all the things are working against them to do it the legal way. Mm. It's all working for them to do it the illegal way. How much is, is politics at play? Because the last election cycle, it was kids in cages, right? And so Trump was keeping kids in cages or, or separating kids from families. Now it's like, everybody's coming across whenever they want tens of millions of people. How, what's the truth? There's a lot of people coming across right now, but they're all still put through a system. And what happens after the border patrol apprehends them is whatever policy is in place. Mm. And so, if you go to 
Obama is known for the president that was the most strict on immigration, on mm. illegal immigration. And so at the time during Obama, excuse me, during, that was my time of being an agent. In some places, they were being arrested for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. It just depends on how many times they've attempted to come across illegally. What determines someone coming across illegally? That means they're coming across outside of a port of entry. You know the port of entries if you're going to Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, so those are ports of entries. If you want to come in, you, sh you should use that. And even mm -hmm. if it's just like, hey, I'm just going to go grab food, there's a process that, to, get, uh, uh, to get authorization to do that. If you come into America anywhere outside of that port of entry, you have now broken the law. That's called Title Eight. It's USC 15, uh, 1325 is entering the country illegally outside of a port of entry the first time. Mm -hmm. So anyone who did that during the Obama era was going to jail for 30, 60, 90 days. Mm. And so what happens is the border patrol agent apprehends them. We apprehend, that means that we've just, obviously we've apprehended them, but we're also making sure we're safeguarding human life. A big part of the border patrol mission is to save lives if needed. Mm. We wear a lot of hats. We save lives, we do crisis response, we do medical interventions, and then we bring them in to, to process them. Mm. When it gets to the border patrol agent and he takes them into the processing center, what happens there, it's not our duty to determine whether their their claim of asylum is legit. It's not, it's not in my capabilities. I say, oh, you're, you're claiming asylum? Hmm. Okay. Well, then here's the asylum paperwork. Boom. One can, they, can they say that from Mexico or is that only from well, like... Certain, certain countries can say asylum. Okay. Only certain ones on a certain list and that rotates, mm -hmm. that list changes so on and so forth while the political kind of climate changes. Right. Mexico... No, mm -hmm. but if there's, I don't know if there is now, right? Cause I don't, I don't do that now. So I don't even know, but, uh, there's different things that Mexico can do, can ask oh, for. Okay. Right. And so it's very different, but in our time, what we would do is, okay, cool process. And we're talking about 2009, 2015 timeframe. We would process them, hand them off to ICE, ERO, and then they decide housing until they can see an immigration judge mm. and the immigration judge makes the determination of their case. And they're locked up till then? Yeah. Yeah. In private prisons. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle this motherfucker yeah. for me. I was yeah. like, I'm like, oh shit, this is crazy. Yeah. Because at the time that was the only way you can house them. We don't mm. have, the system doesn't have anything for illegal immigration housing. Mm. There's nothing set up for that. Mm -hmm. And so the only other place is put them in prison. And so the whole, now you get to the Trump thing with say kids in cages. Well, imagine if you have the system that doesn't have a place to put anyone, mm -hmm. all we can do is put them in prison. What do you do when you overrun that system? Mm -hmm. Well, the system was so overrun, we didn't, they didn't have a capability to house families. They had to start building these tents. They had to start building, like opening schools. They had to start creating things for it because there was no system in place for that. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, Obama administration was more strict, but but uh, so was Trump. Trump was pretty strict on it. Trump was more vocal about that, and, and I think that's what caused a lot of the new yeah, stuff. Because I didn't know Obama was that well, He strict. was the man on that. He, yeah. was, he was a dog on it. Yeah. It was like, because you'd think that, oh, Democrat, they're liberal, that everybody's yeah. in, like, we're asylum, you know, we're, we're a, a nation that will accept anybody. Right. It's kind of the narrative. Yeah, but they were very good about, like, if you're seeking asylum, we're going to take care of that, right? But the, but the thing is, but if you're coming in illegally, mm -hmm. it was a homeland security issue. Okay. So he was serious about it. And you could watch the speech. And I'm not, like, pro, I, I try and take a position of, I'm not left or right on any of this right now. Yeah. I'm just trying to, let me give you the information because there's not enough people that are actually trying to explain this in a way that's not a fight. Right. And the only way we get further down this path is ha having good discourse. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. 
Black Rifle Coffee is celebrating a decade of coffee in 2024. They're the only coffee I drink, and supporting them is supporting veterans and the outdoor community. One of the favorite packages that I get on a monthly basis is a Black Rifle Coffee Club exclusive coffee roast. The only way you can get it is if you subscribe to the coffee club. This month's coffee is a king of all roasts, halls of lots of beanza. The exclusive coffee club subscription gives you nothing but the best. It's a coffee of the month club where you get premium roasts from the best farms worldwide. Black Rifle Coffee is America's coffee. It's veteran-owned and operated. They support hunting and conservation and give back immensely to the veteran community. They're offering followers of the podcast 20% off on your first purchase to the coffee club or order on their site using code KEEPHAMMERING to get America's coffee today. I cannot say enough good things about the guys over at Montana Knife Company. I've been using their knives in the mountains for the past three years, and I've been nothing but impressed. They're an American company, their knives are made here in America, and their master bladesmith, Josh Smith, is one of the best knife makers out there. Their culinary cutlery is some of the best I've used, even though I don't use it because I don't cook, but I do use it when I'm eating. But I do know any cook would likely love them in their kitchen. I'm proud to partner with the guys over at Montana Knife and looking forward to some cool new products we're working on collaborating on in the coming months. Head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com today and use code CAM for free shipping. And so when the whole Trump and cages, it became a political stunt to make Trump look bad. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter, it's the system that was in place even before Trump. Hmm. We have to separate them from their parents to identify whether they're being trafficked or not. Okay, and once we determine they're being trafficked or not, well, the father is still, the father of the household is still probably going to say jail time because of it's illegal to cross. Mm -hmm. And if the policy is in place, you do 30 days, well, he's going to do 30 days. You don't do 30 days with your kids in jail. Mm -hmm. And so they had to create a system. All the lost kids was confusing. And I know the system, everyone put a lot of that on Border Patrol. But what happens is after we process, the Border Patrol doesn't have their hands on it no more. Mm -hmm. It hands off to ICE, mm -hmm. and ICE does the determination of their case, waiting for an immigration judge and housing or deportation. So a lot of the media was using all these things and saying Border Patrol, Border Control, all these things. And that's why I was like, what? You, guys yeah. don't, you know what you're talking about here? There's a multi-layered system here that happens, and the Border Patrol is one part of this big system. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not shitting on ERO or the ICE, but I'm saying, well, that was their job and that was what they had in place and there was no system in place to make it any better. Mm -hmm. And so we had to fix, we have to fix that, right? And that is that where we are now? It still needs to be fixed? Yeah, there's now, yeah. now it's in the news every day. Correct. Your book, you know, is even more meaningful, borderline. It's like, to me, I'm empathetic to the guys working on the border. Absolutely. Because it's like, it feels like a no-win situation. You got people saying that you're letting too many in. You're like, right. you know, oh, you're wor we're worried about the Ukraine border, not mm -hmm. our own southern border. It's like, man, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, so the, the way I kind of... What I what I I always try and correct people. They're like, oh, the border patrol is letting them in. No, the mm -hmm. border patrol is doing their job. They're actually apprehending them, processing them. Whatever policy in place after that, it's not our job. Mm -hmm. We hand off to ICE and they do whatever they have to do with it. If they're letting them go in four days with a notice to appear, well, that's the policy that they have to follow. We still did our job. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. In the past, we give them to ICE and they detain them. Now we're giving them to ICE and some people are getting notice to appears. Right. That means see you at a later date and immigration would determine because we're so overwhelmed that there's no one to house you. Yeah. Well, they're, aren't they sending them 
well, New York now is saying we don't want any more. And I, Those, I don't know if this is right. true or not, but like kicking veterans out of care facilities <laughs> and putting immigrants in there. Is right. that true? So <clears throat> there's a truth to it. Um, yeah, there's some truth to those. It's just when it happens one time, it turns into it's happening all over. And right. I, I want to shy. I want to uh, make sure I don't do that. Mm-hmm. There was people getting kicked out of a school, mm-hmm. right? There is kids getting displaced from schools so they can house them there. Mm-hmm. So in those kids, yes, that is one school that did it in the state of New York, who is very, um, you know, they're very sanctuary state oriented. So right. they do things like that. You don't see that in Texas, right? right? You don't see that in certain states. So really depending on what kind of political kind of balance the state has and what they, their views on it, it's kind of, you'll start to see things like that. Mm-hmm. There was some people getting kicked out of um, a a hotel, veterans to, to house, yes, New York, right? Mm-hmm. So certain states will do certain things to accommodate the immigration situation. That's gonna happen. Yeah. That's the state, right? And every state makes their own choice. And the mm-hmm. same thing is what's happening right now with Texas, right? And so it's this really interesting thing that every state is kind of making a stance on how they see it and how they'll further pursue it. Yeah. And and that's what's been interesting to watch, right? Because when that you is. say, hey, we'll welcome them. And then two months later, we're like, we can't no more. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it really depletes resources. We're in, we're in a position where like a country that wants to welcome immigration is at a point right now where we are tapped out mm-hmm. and we're starting to have to see how do you fix this? It, it's, it's a hard thing. Yeah. So, and like I sit from the position of like, well, let me at least tell the border patrol story. So that answer, that question is answered because that one seems to be shit on all the time and I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like to me, the border patrol guys are just doing their job. Right. What happens after that is that's the administration or that's so, so what's happening now? Cause Texas and Abbott say, <laughs> We're stopping people coming over. And now DeSantis is sending National Guard troops from Florida to help. Is that, yeah? I how think, do you see that? So personally from like, if I was giving expert testimony on this, um, the state of Texas is doing what Texas believes is right. Mm-hmm. And, but it will lose this fight in the Supreme Court a lot of the time because the state can't uphold federal law. Mm-hmm. And so when Arizona tried to do something like this, they said, Arizona, the, the sheriffs can, can, uh, can deport veterans or whatever, or deport, um, excuse me, immigrants. Um, I- immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, they fought it and eventually the Supreme court sided with the side of the federal, mm-hmm. federal government. And so this is a really interesting time. I, what the position I see is, is this, the border patrol is going to continue to do the border patrol job, whatever is asked of them to do by federal law. Uh, and the state can do exactly what they want to do because it's their state as well. Mm-hmm. And the National Guard can do exactly what they're told because the state has asked them to do their mission. And all of those three, it's essentially what it is. You have the National Guard, you have the DPS, and you have the, 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 the federal government of the Border Patrol. <clears throat> all of them are going to continue to do their job. And there's no tension between them boots on ground. Right. The media wants to make that happen. Yeah. And that's what I don't like. I think it's unfair because you start to cultivate the idea that this is going to be some civil war. This war happening on the ground, it's not really happening. Everyone wants to see the best for this nation. We all abide by a certain code or a certain law or a certain uh, leader who's teaching, to, to, who's giving you the commands, right? Mm-hmm. The federal border patrol continues to do with the border patrol job. Yeah. And so boots on ground, everyone's just trying to do their job. Right. When it comes higher up, it's kind of a posturing position. Mm-hmm. The media's taking him saying, oh, now Governor Abbott's. Yeah. And like, look, Governor Abbott's doing exactly what he believes he should do to protect the state. Mm-hmm. 
he's allowed to, and yeah. he's gonna, and he's going to have his day in court fighting with, and that's what's going to happen. This this way this this, right. this happens. The only bad part is your average citizen starts to feel compelled to go support, and that becomes scary when you yeah. have, you know, a lot of these gung ho dudes who believe in America, which rightfully so, and they're loading up their, right, their and, trucks with right, guns my and fear, like, let's go. Right. My fear yeah. is they're going to go down there and they don't understand the pos- the posturing that's happening down there and that it's not an aggressive posture still, even mm-hmm. with barbed wire, it's not the aggressive posture that the world wants to think it is. Mm-hmm. They're still just they're at, So barbed wire and all that is deterrence. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what it is. It's like, we're going to deter you from coming because you don't want to get stuck in that. And right. that's the posturing that's happening. And it's a good posturing. I get it. Yeah. But it can be dangerous as well. And that's why the, the Border Patrol kind of took the position like, well, we're not going to cut it unless we have to do our job. Mm-hmm. And their job is safeguarding human life. And I just don't like how the media is kind of turning it into this fight down on the, down on the uh, you know, Shelby Park. No, if you go down there and talk to all of them, everyone's like, hey, man, you good? You good? You good? Like, everyone's, <laughs> yeah. a good everyone's good moral, like a morale, have, yeah. have good morale. They're all just waiting for the order from the top. Yeah, and so it's it's a, if the world if the nation would see, it's yeah. There's Texas is putting his foot down, and they're allowed to. Mm-hmm. It's going to see its way in court again, Supreme Court, and the decision will be made. And in the end, I believe the federal government will win because, like I said, the state can't uphold federal law. Yeah, that's how our system set that's up. How our system set up. Yeah, and so in the end, if. For the next 10 years, Texas decides they want to activate their National Guard to the border and create a defensive posture of deterrence. He can do that, mm-hmm. right? And that's going to be fine. And the Border mm-hmm. Patrol is going to work with them and figure out how to do their job. Genuinely, the Border Patrol is the the one or agency that saves more lives on the border than any other agency because we work on the border mm-hmm. where people drown, where people get the heat conditions and all that. So the Border Patrol is going to continue to save as many lives as possible and do their job. And, and, and that's just that. Here's the crazy part. When a border patrol apprehends you and they run your fingerprints, they put you through several systems that will identify whether you have criminal history mm-hmm. or uh, connection with any kind of terrorist organization, right? Mm. T- terrorist watch list or whatnot. And if they determine those people are, well, then they deport them. They deport mm. them immediately. Mm. You might not see it, right? Yeah. But they deport them immediately. The DPS, I don't know necessarily they have the same system. Mm. And so there's a concern. Are they running them for the same systems we have? Right. Well, we don't have, they don't have the same system. Mm. And then once they're done doing their, I think it's 15 to 30 days is what they're holding them for when they, mm. when the DPS gets them. Then what? Well, they give them back to the border patrol. Mm. So it's a posturing position. Yeah. And, 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 and I get the sentiment of it. If you create deterrence, mm-hmm. then maybe they'll go somewhere else. Right. And Texas is cool with that. Yeah. But while all the attention is on Shelby Park, mm-hmm. the highest numbers of illegal immigration are happening in fucking Tucson. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I don't see that at all. In no the media. one does. No one does. But if you can look on it. So if you guys are listening to this now, the border patrol sectors all have social media and they're doing their best to use the social media to give you the information that they have. Mm-hmm. So every week you'll probably see any kind of significant busts, any kind of significant, um, you know, people that came across that we caught them on, you know, prior history and as well as the numbers mm. transparent, they're showing it. Not enough people are seeing it, mm. you know, and not enough yeah. people in the media are using that to their advantage. No, there's ignoring that and saying, well, this has all the attention. Let's attack this. Yeah. I mean, I even saw a little, you know, from the, the white, the press secretary, secretary today saying, 
there's immigration laws or something. Republicans haven't done anything. You know, I mean, so it's... That's what I'm t- yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, it's, it's a shell game of responsibility, it feels like. So, so what do you think? You know, there's another theory out there that, well, they're trying to, to pad Democratic voters. Yeah, I hear that a lot. By, but what, what do you, how do you see that? Um, Adding ten, tens of million, potentially, who knows if they even will vote. I mean, yeah. what, half Americans don't even vote. Or regular, you know, just, yeah. you know, long-time so just, citizens. Just like um, from a position of someone who's seen a lot of shit overseas and who's seen some bad shit in America, the concern, what concerns me is the people who come in that don't want good upon the country. So that's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is homeland security, the side of the homeland security that we're kind of, kind of leaned too far immigration where we're allowed, yeah. we're not, we don't have our homeland security right. goggles on Bottom as much. Yep. Right. So that probably scares me. All the other people coming in, I don't, I don't like in the sense of like, we, we're a sovereign nation, mm-hmm. right? We have laws. Mm-hmm. And if these laws aren't being effective and it's kind of a bypass of the laws, it's a concern because, you know, I think Andy Facilis said something to me was, I, was uh, I think it was the first time I ever thought of it. It was like, you start to kind of dilute the waters of what America's cultural foundation is in the sense of like the patriotism of America. Mm-hmm. And then you start to lose that if you kind of dilute the water, if you will. Right. And I, it was the first time I ever thought like, oh man, that might be a concern to me because mm-hmm. my grandkids might not have the same beliefs of what America stands for. It's like those people who have taken the American flag and turned it into a weapon of like racism. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, don't do that. Right? Don't right. do that. Cause that flag actually represents you too. It represents all of that, all right. the struggle, all the oppression, mm-hmm. all of that is what that flag should still remain. And when someone uses it and uh, kind of almost defaces it, digitally, right? In, in a sense where they call it racism. Well, then it loses the culture and the foundation of what me and your son have fought for and the yeah. people before us. Mm-hmm. And so when people are coming in, in in America and the way it is now, it's, it's kind of a crazy situation where I, d- I don't know how to voice my feelings more than I'm more concerned about the, the homeland security position of our country and in the next few years what that's going to look like. I'm more concerned about that and then than the votes. The, the vote right. thing is like I, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. If I just, you know, if I just robbed a bank, you're not going to see me come out and show my face, right? So <laughs> if someone yeah. come here legally, I just don't know how many of them are willing to show up and vote. Right. I don't know how many of them are going to be showing um, loyalties to the president because I don't think they really think that deep into it. Right. They're no. more like, man, I got smuggled in. I'm, I'm laying low. Yeah. So I think more realistically on the fact that I don't. A lot of people are using that as well. Like they're using fighting age males. Same way they're using the votes. I think it's more than that. I think this is like a, I think this is a, a, this is a something that we have to pay attention to in the next few years. And kind of like Mike Glover and all those other guys, like I always kind of stay at a position of readiness. Mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of even more like, okay, we really got to be just pay attention to it and, and see what that looks like. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard one to word as well yeah. as not get myself in trouble. I, so. I understand. <laughs> it's, it's like a lot of it is the posturing and the political game mm-hmm. games. You know, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying about if you come in here legally, you're not going to be showing up. Okay, I'm on a vote now. Yeah. I get that. It's just, I just don't like how the media is just twists everything yeah. and it pits us versus them. That's what the problem, yeah. right? That's why I said the two arguments are happening simultaneously and maybe both are kind of right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 
the media doesn't give us that. The media says, you know, conservatives this and the liberals this, and then they go you know, Trump and Biden, and I know. and it's creating such division in this nation that, yeah. that it's it makes me feel compelled to be like, well, it's really in the middle there, guys, mm -hmm. and we should try and see it in a more human aspect. Right. I don't like people breaking the law to come into this country either. At the same time. I also don't like that it takes 12 years for a good person really want to come to this country right. and work their ass off. I get that. So there's something that has to be said about that too, mm -hmm. right? There's multiple layers of this immigration system that we need to look at. You know that there's, I think that right now it's like 630 something de uh, deported combat veterans. Hmm. Veterans who come to America, they come to serve our country and they're promised that they're going to become citizens. But then right before they get their citizen paper done, they have a, a alcohol issue, a DUI oh. and they get deported. Or, or, or there are many different little things. That's, mm -hmm. I'm just saying generally. And because the way the system is built, and they didn't think about maybe they have post-traumatic stress from combat. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're struggling with something. No, they have a DUI, and boom, they send them right back to a country they don't even know. Yeah. So there's a lot of little issues in this immigration thing that needs to kind of be addressed. And I think for many years, our political positioning has just been like, scrape the top of it off, mm -hmm. put a new face to it, things are good. And I think right now is probably the most important time, like, no, we really need to see the bigger picture of immigration. And, and we really got to kind of start addressing these little things that we've been ignoring for way too long. Well, I mean, we've been talking about it here and it doesn't seem like it's that crazy of problems to solve right. to me. Well, um, it seems it, like it, you it'll never stop if we don't, <laughs> if we don't control the system right. down South. Well, yeah, but it seems like the, the challenges you've mentioned and the, and the, the maybe the disconnect, Man, if we can talk about it here and kind of identify those, yeah. why couldn't somebody solve them? I, I agree. I think um, it seems because we have this political fight always going on. The past, like you know, ten years have been more like politically like dividing people. Yeah, it's not why. working together. Yes, yeah, because you have the parties not working together either. Right. You know what I mean? Like at one point there was um, a bipartisan group trying to make it happen. It was like mm. six Democrats, six Republicans, really trying to work on like you know, common sense immigration and it mm -hmm. never came, it never ha happened, never mm -hmm. panned out. And mm -hmm. so why, like, why aren't we really trying to find the answer to that? It's a tough thing. It's a weird that this is the biggest, it's one of the biggest issues we're going to face in our voting in the coming to presidency and who, how you're going to vote is really going to determine what the future looks like in that. And that's crazy. It's like yeah. scary that this we're looking for sides only for the fact that we need them to go to the immigration side that we want. And when both parties should be really looking at homeless security and yeah, immigration. The same, same yeah. issue. So who you vote for? <sighs> Just kidding. You don't have to tell me. It's a canceled. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you, can't, you can't even say I, the right answer. Yeah, I, any answer I say, I'm done. No, you're, yeah, you're I'm crucified done. no matter yeah, which way. I'm going to do a write-in ballot and it's going to be for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Isn't it? Oh, it's just a crazy time. Um, it is, man. So I, you know, you just kind of mentioned uh, just in passing, just with the DUI and the and the veterans. It's just like I heard you on a clip talk about drinking. Yeah, and tell me about that because I know that veterans. That's a challenge. I mean, it's it's a challenge for everybody. Yeah, but specifically for people coming back from serving and yeah, it's. It's a cultural thing in the military. I mean, I'm sure your son was he was he 21 when he joined or younger? He was older. He he was a deputy here at the jail oh, okay. for a while. Yeah. He worked at Cabela's for a while, and then I think he went in and he's about 25, right? 24. 24. Yeah. I was 23, 24, so it's about the same. So like. The interesting thing about the culture of the military is that we created a drinking culture. 
you know, and it's not just the military. Like I said, college baseball it was a drinking culture. Growing mm. up Latino, I'm a, it's a drinking culture. If, yeah. you, if, you, if I didn't drink with my dad at a young age, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> was I even Mexican dog? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So it's a really interesting thing that like we conform to the culture because it's what we do. It's what, we, what everyone's done. And then adding combat to that, it really made it coming back from combat like fuck it, why don't I drink? Because next six months I'm training and I go right back overseas so I might get killed anyway, so fucking enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that turned into not really, I, there, it wasn't an era of wellness. It wasn't an era, era of counseling and, and trying to betterment of ourselves. It wasn't about that. It was about being really good at our job. Mm-hmm. And that means drinking, fucking fighting. Yeah. Army Ranger. Going you, hard yeah. all the time. Right. And yeah. so you start to believe that and it becomes a part of you. And if that's not you, then you're not really the ranger, are you? You know, and that didn't leave me for a while. I got out of the military and continued to drink because it's what I did. And you start to really fall into that system. And it was no different than, yeah, but also I go to kid parties as a Hispanic man. I have a cooler in the back of my car drinking too. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of my world was just revolved around this drinking and drinking and drinking until I realized that like, fuck man, this thing's got a hold of me, dude. Like there was... There was no out for me. It was, uh, I found an excuse to drink for the death of my buddy this day and the anniversary of this day and another death of this day. And I found myself on the anniversary. I, I lost two guys overseas while I was in, I graduated range school, got injured. I couldn't go deploy with them. So I was in the rear, in the reach back, uh, excuse me, in the rear D they called it. And they were killed in combat about probably a week to two weeks before they redeployed. And um, one of those guys was someone who was a mentor of mine. They were both mentors of mine, but one of them I really looked up to, another big Hispanic guy. And you don't see a guy a guy like big Hispanic in a leadership role too often in my world. And I thought, like, fuck, this guy is the man. And so when he died, it was like, fuck me up. So every anniversary date of his death, I would find myself drinking so much that I f- – in my head I thought – and I know a lot of guys – I'm trying to put into words for these guys is that – I felt that if I showed him how much I was in pain, it would mean that he would see how much I loved him and I missed him. And so I would drink to the point of like, fuck man, like passed out trying to go for more. You know what I mean? And then I'd hear my buddy the same night get drunk and get arrested for DUI and another buddy get same night get in a fight with the cops the same. And we were destroying our fucking selves in the memory of this guy to show them how much we loved him. And at one point I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, you start to think about like heaven, if there's a heaven, if they're looking down on us or if they're just watching and like in our heads, we're thinking like, yeah, I love you. Watch me suffer. Mm-hmm. And then the other turn is like, there's no way he's saying, yeah, waste a fucking perfectly good life on drinking dumbass. Yeah. Cause if he had the chance, he'd be doing hugging his kid, right? his wife, you mm-hmm. know? And so that was the first part of me. Like I'm not drinking on the anniversary date no more. Like, let me just stop that day. Cause that day was the day that probably got out of hand the most. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into more and I started I did counseling. I found myself, I was, I was on the border one night wearing same gloves I had in Iraq because I just kept buying this, a newer version of them. Knuckled gloves, you know what I mean? Because we go in Iraq and we, we kick a door and you backhand a dude and fucking snatch him up and shit, you know what I mean? And So I kept wearing those gloves and I kept my Merrells from Iraq too and I wore those in, in the field. Um, I had an M4, I had night vision and I was chasing a dude one night and, and the, the scent coming off his body, someone who's walking in the in the desert for seven, 12 days smells very similar to someone in Afghanistan. And so the smell was like, oh, fuck. 
took my, you back. Everything. Mm-hmm. My hands, everything was in my, the feeling in my hand, the smell, the vision of the, of the green and the night vision. And then burnt trash was some reason that night was like burnt trash. And it reminded me all of like fucking Afghanistan. As I'm chasing this dude, I'm thinking like, oh, I can shoot him. He's a squirter, right? Mm-hmm. ROE overseas. Squirter, you, shoot, you could shoot him in the back. No issue because he's leaving an objective. Mm-hmm. On the border, it's just a dude trying to get away from a big, scary-looking motherfucker yeah. chasing him. Yeah. And I about shot this dude in the back of the fucking head. And when I finally, my partner got in there, and boom, I popped everything off. And I was like, whoa, dude, what the fuck is going on? And I knew I've had several moments of this in different times. And mm-hmm. I'm like... Okay, well, this is the whole thing that people talk about. This is the post-traumatic stress. And eventually I saw a counselor because kind of forced to in a sense where a buddy said, hey, this guy fucking is talking to you. <laughs> yeah. um, and she took me down the path of, of EMDR, which is the first step into the counseling direction I went. And mm. so I have dreams. What does that stand for? EMDR. It's a, I don't know the exact name for it, but what it is is, is recreating rapid eye movement with your eyes mm. and it helps process um, trauma and in, back into memory. Mm. And so the, the, the trauma gets stored in our frontal cortex because of like all the hormone dumps, you know, cortisol and everything else. Mm-hmm. And when, when, when that trauma doesn't get to process like a memory, like goes through your brain and kind of, kind of goes through the process of, of, I guess, acceptance of something, uh, it gets stored up there. And so these post-traumatic stress moments, you keep reliving and your body feels the same, you know, the same feelings uh, of the breathing of the, of the moment of the moment of that's stored. Mm-hmm. You, you keep reoccurring mm-hmm. and that's like this fucking shitty thing. And so I was having this nightly almost. I come around a corner. This is a dream. I come around a corner and this, this woman, um, older woman was looking at me in and almost looking for help. And I looked down at her feet was her husband who was killed. And I was like, damn. And I couldn't help her. And I'd wake up feeling like, fuck, felt guilty, felt terrible, felt really bad. And then the next night I had the same exact dream, same corner, seemed like a corner in like Afghanistan or something like that. And now she's looking at me like, how could you? And now in this scenario, I killed her husband. Mm. And so that same fucking scenario, I couldn't sleep for days. It was like, it was, it was a weird haunting feeling and uncomfortableness of like, Bleh, I don't want to do that again. So I'm going to stay up or I got a drink so I can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And when I did my EMDR session, I never had that dream again. Mm-hmm. Visually, I've never seen it. I've woke up feeling, but I've never seen it again. In the From dream. one session? One session. We did two sessions, but yeah, one session. But it was really crazy because like she's talking to you and she's putting you through it. And she said, what's it smell like? And so she's really making you process that moment. And that was like, well, if that can do that, mm-hmm. what else is there? Mm-hmm. And so slowly I've kind of gone down the path of learning more and going through different versions of wellness. I've done stem cell treatments. I've done TBI clinics. I've done different forms of counseling. I've done sweat lodge with Lakota Indians in LA with one of my fellow uh, Mayan brothers in, on the show actor. Mm. He, he put me through a, a whole sweat lodge ceremony. I do it probably I've done it a few times with him. Really? And, I bet that's intense. Bro, that's so hot. You feel like your ears are going to melt off. <laughs> and the only salvation you have is the mud on the floor from the sweat of everyone had. And dude, it's wild. Wow. So I've done all these different things and it got me to a point of like, okay, I've done all this, but I haven't stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. And my wife is like, Hey, well, we, we decided we're going to have kids together and we're going through in vitro. And she goes, I need your body like healthy. Yeah, right. And so that means you, you can't drink. And at the time I lost another range of buddy to suicide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and his story was weird to me. I was like, I just saw this motherfucker and we're just hanging out. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, um, 
I started like kind of like, what the hell? And I find out more that he was drinking that night. I'm like, you know what? And I'm, you know, I'm going to college again. I'm trying to get my degree. So I got my degree, but in the middle of getting my degree, I'm learning a lot of psychology and understanding like the brain, understanding drinking and understanding like post-traumatic stress. And, and there was a study I read, it called, it was called, it created uh, suicide ideation from, if you have TBI, post-traumatic stress and excessive drinking, mm. it creates chemicals in your brain that create suicide ideation. Mm. So essentially every fucking ranger who's ever fucking done the job has all those. Yeah. And you're essentially a ticking time bomb for your own suicide because you're giving yourself the 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 the, the last you know serum that you needed to right. to, to kind of close up that gap. Mm-hmm. And so my friends are, are losing their lives to their own selves, and all of them been drinking. So when my wife said that, I said, you know what? It's probably a good time. Mm-hmm. So I stopped, and I haven't haven't continued. How long ago is that? It's about almost five five years now. It's really, four years, four years, nine months. Yeah. Hmm. Dude, and it's been, um, I, I was the type of guy that would say, I don't trust a man who doesn't drink. You know, yeah, I was, I was yeah. that guy, you know, right. and I was like, well, f- why wouldn't you fucking drink? I don't get it. And then now I'm like, fuck, I was so like culturally, but not even that, like I was manipulated to really believe that that was kind of the man I was. Mm-hmm. And my father didn't like that I was sober. The first time he was pissed. He was mm. like, you can't drink a beer with me. It was offensive to him, to our right. culture, essentially. Right. Yeah, it was like a bonding thing, yeah. even for your dad. Exactly, for yeah. me and my father, it was mm-hmm. what we did. Yeah. And for me to stop, it offended him in a sense. But now he's like on board. Mm. He's like, no, Vinny, don't ever go back. I'm like, oh, because he sees like the growth that's happened from that. I'm like, fuck, if I could stop this, what else can I do? You know what I mean? Because that had a hold of me, bro. Yeah. And now I've realized like when I say it publicly, veterans are like, bro, it's, fuck, it's, that's me. I'm like, I know, dude, it's yeah. all of us. We're all the fucking same, but we didn't realize we're creating this monster that we're all trying to run from yeah. by drinking, adding to our own issues and not healing these fucking traumas that we've had from the military, from childhood. Yeah. And so I learned healing a lot of that stuff from my past, from the military, and then also not incorporating alcohol. I, I've learned to kind of really love myself and be like, man, I can a lot more I can do with this, you know, and I started trying to help others do the same. Well, I don't know how you were before, but right now you seem smart, funny, happy, <laughs> like big personality. How were you different when you were drinking? Do you think? I mean, if somebody from the outside in, if somebody would see you, would they see this exact same person I see? I feel like it. I feel like I, I feel like I used to think I needed to be funny when I, I needed to drink to be funny, but I feel like if there's no change. I don't know what I don't know what I thought. I think were you more moody when you drank? No, man. I, I would get in fights if I if I needed to get in a fight. Just okay. like I would get in a fight right now if I needed to get in a fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's not get in a fight. No. <laughs> not you. We're a different weight class. Yeah, 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 but you got way more cardio, bro. Trust me. Just run around for a little bit. You'll get me. Okay. <laughs> but the point is like People used to think like, are you an aggressive drunk? I'm like, no, dude. I only fought when I was drinking because I felt the need to tr- fight, mm-hmm. just like I would now. I was a very mm-hmm. coherent person. The one thing I noticed, I forgot a lot of good memories. Mm-hmm. My daughter was like, Dad, do you remember teaching me how to ride a bike? I'm like, nope, not mm-hmm. at all. I was drinking. I don't remember a lot of my kids' stuff, and that bothers me still to this day that like, they had a dad that would cope and kind of try and be comfortable with his existence by drinking. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have a really good coherent dad. They mm-hmm. just had a dude, a shell of a dude in the room. Right. And that's unfortunate because I think more now they're learning who I am and what mm-hmm. makes me tick. And I think they're kind of like fascinated by me now. Like, oh, you're kind of cool. I can't <laughs> believe all the shit you do. I mean, I it's 
it's incredible what you've, you know, I don't know. It's just like you've excelled in so many different areas. Um, did, did you used to drink every night? When you drank? Uh, I was a really good weekend binge drinker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd have a beer here and there, two beers, whatever. Yeah. Especially if you go somewhere like Texas Road, I'll say it's great beers, you know, things like that. And it's know? hard to not have chips and salsa and beer <laughs> or margaritas, you know? Right, right. I, I don't drink either, but, uh, and it's mostly just because I'm a fuck up when I drink. <laughs> And it's like drinking never helped me be good at anything I cared about. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, but when I did, man, chips and salsa and cold beer were pretty good. Oh, I could not watch a fight without drinking. I could, I mean, this yeah. is what I did. And you know, it's funny. It's like, I was the type of guy when I started, I didn't want an end, yeah. you know, and that's where it gets like, right. then you start mixing like, oh, let me get, what's, what bottles do I have in the cabinet now? You know, it was tough. Cause you know, Vegas, how do you go to Vegas and not drink? You know, so we, I'd go to shot show. I'd do all that for years and just be, <laughs> couldn't wait to get out of there because I just made a fool of myself. All right. What now I haven't drank in Vegas in a long time. Yeah. I mean, there's environments where I'm like, I, my mouth would water still sometimes when I see like a michelada. I, yeah. I love the micheladas in, in my mouth would water, but I've learned to make those on my own now without <laughs> alcohol. But yeah, there's moments I still, I still have moments where I'm like, oh fuck. But yeah, I even think like, I hate when I do this, but I always like, I think I can go back to it. And like, no, yeah. dude, don't do it, dude. Don't fucking do it. You can get away with it maybe a couple times, but you know, it's going to go back to same old shit. Yeah. One, I mean, one, I, at least I know. I feel like it. I feel like one bad night and it's a bad memory. Then all of a sudden. Yeah. You just go down that hole. Mm -hmm. Have uh, veterans reached out for guidance from yeah. you because of, of your story? Yeah. I, I have a, a men's group I manage. It's really like an account, accountability circle of dudes. Mm. We have a thing called Light the Fuse. And a lot of those guys, that pull them into the circle of that. And it's just kind of what are your five goals for the year and let's get them done, you know, and kind of keeping it. And a lot of these guys see the drinking thing that I've done and, and they, it kind of motivates them to try the same. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does too. Like some people, some people are still where I was where like, they don't even want to hear it. They're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, bro, no, I'm good. I could, I, everything's good. I can handle my drinking. You're like, okay, bro. Yeah. Some people can, some people can. You yeah. Know? I think it's like the same whole thing with mental health and wellness. Like everybody has their path to it and everyone's kind of on their own their own phase of it, you know, and some people further than others and in, in that. And it's like faith, yeah, you know, uh, right. People are on their own journey and they get to the end, the whatever different points at different times. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm always there. Like I posted that video the other day and I had a ton of messages. I was like, well, join us, join our group. And we just, you know, find a different approach than, than using drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a guy that's addicted to Coke, so mm. not, not cocaine. Cokes. Oh, Soda really? Dog, yeah. And so we're like, okay. So we're all it's trying to. sugar. Right. Oh, that's what it is. And he has, yeah. he, he struggles his weight his whole life. And yeah. he says, you know, he goes, I drink, but like soda. That's what I'm like, fuck, bro. That's crazy. So we're trying to help him with that. Yeah. And, and I have like contacts in the addiction space a lot. We have, we have beds if I need to send guys. Mm. So if there's anyone listening here, like really needs, needs a, you know, an inpatient clinic, like we have connections to all of that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's useful, I'm sure. Um, so how the how the acting thing come come to happen? I mean, I don't know these dudes, bro. So yeah, so Black Rifle. I was a part of that whole circle of friends, dude. And yeah. um, I just focused on acting. They they went towards the, the Black Rifle Coffee. So oh. we produced a movie um, called Range Fifteen. And uh, when we did that, I was like, yeah. So I did I did theater in college two years because oh. it was easy A's, right? Like, you know, yeah, good grade, yeah. that's easy. How many, like four credits per yeah, class? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it was like, um, well, I need to have good grades for baseball. So mm -hmm. let me just take these classes. That was the first time I was like, 
oh, it's kind of cool. And the teacher even said, he goes, hey, you're kind of a natural this. You should try and you should think about it. I'm like, yeah, baseball, you know, baseball, you know. Then fast forward, I started doing YouTube videos with Matt and JT, and those are doing really well. And I mm. kind of thought already, I was like, how do I even do the acting thing? I wonder if I would even do that. So we had a business, did really well. I resigned from, from I used to be one of the owners of Article 15 Clothing. That's mm -hmm. before Black Rifle. Mm -hmm. And so then I resigned from the Border Patrol to pursue acting. Uh, we did Range 15. I produced another movie. Uh, it's kind of a, a poem I wrote that was like a emotional kind of emotional journey of a veteran kind of film. Uh, and then I did some Dads and Parks, which is another YouTube series that did really well. And I was in LA and um, I knew Mayans was auditioning. I knew they're still looking. I texted a good buddy of mine and said, Hey, uh, I don't, I have a reel, I have my headshots, kind of what you need as an actor, a reel and headshots. Yeah. I said, I have my things. I just don't know what to do with them. And he mm -hmm. goes, I know the casting director. Let me send your picture. And she was like, He looks great. Cause like I look the part of a Mayan. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then uh, she said, Can he act? And sent my reel. And she goes, We'd love to see him tomorrow. Mm. So, so I'm supposed to go to this audition the next day. I've never done a real audition in my fucking life, right? <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck? He meets me and my wife for breakfast, and he's like, you've done harder shit in your fucking life. Go mm -hmm. in there go in there and own the motherfucking place and get get out of there. I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he said, shave my head, look the part. I said, cool. I shaved my head. I fucking look like a big, scary, cholo-looking dude. Yeah. Did the part. They liked it. They asked me to come back. What did you have to do that first so day? The first did you know the lines or did they tell you the yeah, lines? Yeah, so they send you the lines in the mail, the, the email the day before. Okay. And the, the goal for us actors is to be off book. Uh, I had like two auditions today, later today, too. How funny is that thinking about it? But Today? So, yeah, they sent me them. I got to get them done by Wednesday. But oh. this is the, the life of acting. They just send you an audition. You okay. got to get it done. But exactly, they sent the audition. Uh, it had about five, six lines. This mm -hmm. character was more of a stern, angry character. Mm -hmm. And uh, the scene was something about a funeral. And so I memorized it, which was a tough, mm. like scary and tough, but I figured that out. I audioed it. My wife audioed it. I listened to it overnight, woke up, studied it. You what was it? What uh, was a line? Give me a line. Oh, I don't even know. I was, <laughs> I was like seven, six years ago. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, so, but it was something to the fact of like, talking about like we lost someone and like are we gonna get revenge kind of thing okay. you know it's yeah. one of those, kind of that vibe um and the lady her name is wendy o'brien she's the casting director really well-known wendy really well-known casting director and it threw me off as they turned the camera on it's just me and her and she goes hey homeboy how you feeling i was like <laughs> Oh shit! Dude. She was in character, bro. Oh, and I'm like, oh, that's what the other character yeah, said. Yeah. Okay. And so then I'm acting off her, and we're going back yeah. and forth, and then it's done. She goes, "Oh, you did a great job." I was like, "Okay." And I hugged her, and I was like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> we fly home at the time we're living in El Paso. That's the last place I lived when I was working for Border Patrol. Mm -hmm. um, and right away, I got an email. They want to see me back, so I bought a ticket right back. My dad took me this time. And now I have two characters, the serious character and the comedy character. Mm. And so we did the serious character again, same lines, no big deal, boom, boom. Then we did the comedy character. And he was talking about like something on like shitting on a gnome on the grass or something weird. But I remember I fucking added something to it accidentally. And you're not supposed to, but I was oh, like kind of in the zone of it. Yeah, and I added yeah. it. And I said something to it and, and they laughed. I laughed. And I remembered like I kind of came to it. I was like, Oh shit, that was good. Everyone <laughs> yeah. laughed. Right? And so I shook their hands and I left and I got an email saying I got the job. Nice. Yeah. Oh. So like, do those pay well? I have no idea what an uh, actor makes. You know, the first three years we were putting ourselves in debt, just trying to uphold the dream. Yeah. Like chasing really it. Chasing yeah. it. I think the first three years I made, 
60K, mm-hmm. you know? But like in the border at the time, I was making 120K. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, the business at the time was probably, at, at the time before it kind of all went down, was probably making 100K. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I had better jobs. Yeah, yeah. And so we had- But you got your SAG card. And, right, right. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of like, I'm in the best show at the time, one of the biggest followings because it's following Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. And it's like one of the most well-known Latino TV shows on TV. So I was in like the best yeah. spot I could possibly be. So I was like, I'm going to sit here for a minute and see what happens. Right. And so when I was done filming, I'd go ahead and get a job. You know, one time I was, I was picking up urine at addiction clinics. Yeah. <laughs> I was working another job. I was doing back doing some security stuff for, for a contracting company. Yeah. Like I was just doing these hodgepodge jobs when the season ended just to kind of keep the lights on. And right. then when the season came back, boom, we did it again. Mm. And so about season three, I was like, I, we might need to change our career path because mm. we're fucking, I'm just, I'm going off credit cards here now. Yeah, and struggling actors out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At one point I had two jobs, picking up piss and doing something. You know, like I'm doing all kinds <laughs> of weird shit. Um, and, and then I even told the Elgin, who's Jocko's brother, mm. I said, look, man, either uh, I'd love to get an opportunity to show you I can really do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just really want a chance. And he goes, yeah, man, we're going to, we're going to give you a chance. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm like, oh, thank God. And so going into the next season, we were able to negotiate a better contract mm. and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. And then boom, I got to do a lot of acting, like, like not just like one line, like, Hey, here comes the cops, you know, like <laughs> legit fucking acting story really? arc, you know what I mean? Really? All that. And I was like, oh fuck, this is, this is dope, dude. That's awesome. Started getting a lot of good feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point. Uh, internally, so it's kind of levels to it, but I was I was put in for an Emmy, but it, it's like the lowest level of that. It never really got to the Emmys, mm-hmm. but just the note the the yeah. notoriety of that through right. internally felt good. Just the me. mention, yeah, the mention internally yeah. was just like, oh fuck yeah, that's, yeah that's, that feels good to know. That's big, yeah. And so I was doing good work. We we're getting paid pretty good. We we're pulling ourselves out of that fucking hole, mm-hmm. and then. They killed the show. Oh, like, oh motherfucker! So now, any now what? Any more? Uh, well, you so, said you got two two yes, auditions. You know, you get auditions all the time. Yeah, uh, I've I've landed two. I've made. You know, it's an impossible job. It's a yeah. really really hard job. Uh, I became a writer on the show the last season, mm. and so I still have a couple of writing things happening. We're producing a movie here soon. One of my scripts from back back in the day is getting picked up. Um, we're trying to pitch other shows as a writer. So the writing side is getting a little bit of attention. Mm. There's a possibility of getting more work there. Acting, it's a, it's a really big hustle. It's a hard, yeah, hard place. So, I imagine. Uh, you, you take all the auditions, and you might land one, you know? And so it's kind of the name of the game. Well, I don't know if you make any money podcasting, but you could. You're great. <laughs> you 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 are great at it. I mean, well, we do have one. I'll mention it now. You know, um, I don't know if they're gonna get mad at me, but we have Ironclad. We have a podcast coming out called Borderlands, and we're gonna be really discussing in detail some of the perspectives of the border, the left, the right perspective, everything, mm-hmm. immigration lawyers. Um, we have a lot of different people's versions of their truth of the border, and we want to allow them to say their piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be interesting, and I think it's important to have some kind of dialogue like that um, at a time right now that's so it's divisive, and it yeah. shouldn't be as much as it is. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it will be super interesting. But I just know that with your personality and your presence, I mean, 
you can have sponsors and guests and like, you can, I mean, you're good at this. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely blow up as a podcaster and I would I love to, I don't know if we can make money like Rogan, but I mean, some people are making pretty good money. There's some good ones out there. I think Sean Ryan's doing really well. Yeah, too. he is. Uh, he's a good dude. Um, yeah, Joe Rogan. I've been listening to Joe Rogan since back in the day, so it's really cool to watch the growth of him. And like, oh. th that's a that's an impossible chase. The dude, the dude's the best <laughs> at what he does, and he's so intelligent. And so it's it's just fun to watch uh, what he's done with it, and and how the podcast space has grown. You know, I have my little podcast, but you really have to commit to this thing mm -hmm. pretty seriously to like make it grow to what he did, and and it's hard to do that. But you know, we're all trying. I think you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if you have interesting people or you have something that you know, a perspective people enjoy listening to, man, those downloads, that's all it amounts to. That's it's like it. you, you say, Hey, you want to sponsor the show? Okay. Pay this much per download. Then it's up to you. Yep. If people listen, you're yep. making great money. Yeah. If nobody listens, well, you're picking up urine. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be back at my, you know, I worked over here at the local utility till yeah. last year. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be back there if this doesn't work. You but know, I, I always have, yeah, I, I always have a job waiting for me somewhere, yeah, I'm sure. We can always figure out something to hustle, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, how'd your book, how did Borderline do? It did good. You know, I think everyone who writes a book wants to get that New York Times bestselling book. Yeah. List, you know, it, it's kind of solidifies you to, to write another few books. It's but, political though. Yeah, I mean, it is. that's, it, that's not like a bestseller, right? They call it a bestseller. It's, yeah. it's sold well. It, it did what it, it was intended to do. Mm -hmm. The goal, the goal was to have a book out there that explained the border patrol career field in a way that's just kind of like non-biased as much as possible, non-political, just like, let me tell you how the career is and how beautiful it is to do that job because mm -hmm. it is the first line of defense against any terrorist acts and it is also the first line of, of potential to save lives. And so it's a really, really respectable, beautiful career field that doesn't get the respect it deserves. And, uh, you know, I've had plenty of board traders tell me thank you and mm -hmm. I'm happy. If it sells one more book and another guy says he loved, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's not, I don't really chase too much. I try not to be a guy that chases these accolades too much. Yeah. I wrote it. I'm happy with it. We like to win though. We right. <laughs> and so it's not, hey, I'm doing your podcast, bro. That's a win for me, dog. You know what I mean? I've been a guy observing from the back of, of you yeah. and your career for a long time. So it's been really cool. So when, when, when I got the call, I was like, fuck it. I told my wife, like, I'm kind of pumped about this. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I'm pumped because not only, I mean, I have a lot of respect for border, border patrol agents. I remember a couple guys gave me a coin, That's, you know, a yeah. challenge coin. And I just, but I'm, I'm a patriot. Yeah. I love military cops, border, I love all the, those, those guys that don't get the credit they deserve. Yeah. I feel like those are the guys that I want to fight for, or represent or help tell their story. So having you on here and, you know, knowing your book and knowing you and also the invitation to go to the border, I would love it oh, because, be great. because that, that story, it's, it's so critical right now. Yeah. And it is, it, you're right. That's a first line of defense, but also it's just, I mean, it's the border of our country. Yeah. You know, we love, we love America. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I want to see just the challenges that are involved down there and the men and women who are working there. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think everyone's fair to have their opinion on it. Like, but we have to be more educated on it. I think that a lot of people weren't educated enough on it. And that's why we're so divided on this subject. Mm -hmm. 
And so we have to do our part to educate people on exactly what, how it works mm-hmm. so that I think we can have better discourse. Yeah, exactly. That that's exactly right. You know, I, I do want to mention too, I watched another interview you did with John Berknall. John Berknall. Yeah. Oh man. You know, we've been talking, I've been trying to take him on his first hunt, right? He has oh, a dude. son he wanted to bring yeah. up, take on a, take on a hunt. But anyway, I saw you guys walking around. It was LA, right? Yeah, dude. He's the man. Bro. Oh, I, Love that guy. Did I've you, never met him. Have you talked to him? You, you've talked to him? I've texted him. Okay, cool. I, I think we talked on the phone, but we've never met him. Well, why don't we plan a border trip together, all of us? Oh, that'd be sweet. That's my boy, dude. Is, you guys are boy. pretty tight. Yeah, dude. I, I just, you know, I first, I knew from movies, you know, whatever, Fury and, and all those movies. But then when he had Shia on and that, that <sighs> interview was incredible. Insane. And so then I was like, God dang, this guy's freaking good. He's great, dude. He's a great, he's real. Yes. He's real. And and you can tell. But you're real. Yeah. So it's, you're no different. But I mean, that's, that's John Berthold, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. he's he's one of the great ones, and he's and his acting is oh, it's so good. It, as an actor, when you watch someone who you know is better than you mm. and, and, and a competitor, I'm a competitor, fucking sucks. Because I'm mm. like, I need a chance. I need something to show I can do just as good. Right? Like, I want to compete with him because I yeah. respect him that much. But watching him do his job is like, He's good, dude. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, oh, I want the chance to, to compete with that. How, how, why do you think he's so good? I mean, when people are very connected to the human condition, when they're very connected to knowing the big spectrums of emotions mm-hmm. and they know how to convey those, oh, yeah, it's the best. There's not, so he's lived life. Not all actors have lived life. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. That dude is like, he's done the he's dirt. He's been around. He's been around. He's yeah. been around. And when, I think you're going to see a big influx of people who are very human in the sense of they've experienced life because then coming into acting is like now learn how to harness that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really good at harnessing that. He's really good at it. And he owns his characters and he creates these worlds that are like you just believe every character, even though it's still him. He has his nuances, right? Yeah. He does his thing. But every time he does it, it's like, fuck yeah, dude. Have you watched the yeah. show The Bear on FX? No. Oh my God, dude. He's like a couple pieces and it's the best. It's, really? The show's great. The show okay. is great. But even his little pieces and when he's in there, I'm like, God, man, I don't know how he does it, but he steals the show every time he's on scene, dude. To me, and I don't know if I'm biased because I'm just some redneck dumb fuck from small town Oregon, but I like the real gritty uh, life has kicked you in the nuts type actors that have come up over the professionally trained. Like, yeah, like, I, I get it. You I, know, I, I, I can't say too much on that because I work in the space of all those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all very good, but for some reason I'm drawn to those characters too. Mm-hmm. I'm drawn to those guys too. Yeah. I, I, there's some beautiful actors. Um, the guy that used to be a Marine, he, he, he got hurt and he went to acting. He went to Juilliard. He's a well-trained actor. He's brilliant. Uh, but he's great. But John Berthold is rugged, great dude. Mm-hmm. Like he's for some reason I just love. It. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm drawn to those day, those guys too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, that would be a pretty epic border trip. I mean, I'm down there. I'm going to to me and Rogan and Steve Rinella are going hunting on the eighth of, of February. What? Really? Yeah. So I'll be down in Texas. Okay. Let me see what's up. But yeah, just whenever, but let me know. Yeah. I'll be there for a few days then. Anytime you're down there, let me know. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm just north of that. And I could just drive down and, and, and try and connect you guys down there if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I get anything, we can make it work. Yeah. We can make it work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll be there and yeah, 
I don't know what Joe's schedule is, yeah, but I'll mention I, it. Yeah, I've never hunted either, bro. <laughs> We're pig hunting. So oh, that, like, oh, that's fun out there. So yeah. we've done that accidentally. Just when you're when you're in the field, you just you you hunt them down accidentally, anyways. Yeah. Did you ever have you ever eaten any? Uh, no. You know, wild boar are good. Is it? Oh man, so so good. I I haven't eaten. Look, man, I grew up in L.A. I, yeah. I don't know the hunting species very well. I've had friends bring me like an elk, and I eat some of the elk meat. Yeah. Bring me deer, but I've never. I don't know the world of it. I, I, one of my buddies gutted a, a a deer in front of me. I was like, "Damn, that shit's intense." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been to war, but that's a whole different thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a whole it? different. Yeah, the the killing the animal, and you know, it's I I'm not trying to compare the two or or whatever, but yeah, killing it it can be intense. Like you're splitting open that hide, pulling out those guts. Yeah, it's I, real. I would love my sons to know what that's like, but as well as show them the respect that the animal deserves after as well. Yes. Like, eat everything you possibly can. Yep. Praise this bad boy because he's feeding the family. That's right. Show all the love and gratitude to that. You know what I mean? Like that's the side of, that's kind of like the circle of life I want them to experience and know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Sounds dope. Yeah. Well, well uh, we're going to make something happen. Well, I, thank you so much. I mean, it, I'll just, I just wanted to tell you, it's like, I mean, I have so much respect for you and it's, it means a lot that you, you came to the show, you came to my home here, you're in the studio. It's like, uh, and I feel, I feel enriched by the experience. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate the invite and seriously, I've been following you for a long time. So this is kind of surreal for me as well. Well, th <laughs> thanks for the talk. I learned a lot. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. Mountain Ops is my longtime supplement sponsor, and I love everything the company is about. I have my own Keep Hammering line of supplements with Mountain Ops, and I might be biased, but it's the best tasting flavors out there. I drink the protein powder every day, drink the pre-workout before every lift, and take the BCAs for recovery. They also have a ton of other supplements, so if you're looking for something that is going to up your game in the new year, Mountain Ops is where it's at. We even have some cool events in the works for 2024, so stay tuned to both our social medias because you're not going to want to miss them. Head to mountainops.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast.